Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 196 with Stacey Hunky. Stacy has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to having more influence, presence, command in a room. So you're going to walk away learning one, how to assess your level of influence in a room. Two, the core elements needed to have more influence. And three, how your smartphone can help you speak better. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcripts or the links to items referenced, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep196. And while you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I recommend you check out some of our handy resources. One I'll highlight now is just the Gold Nugget email list. So if you wish you could take notes on some of these great interviews and insights the guests are sharing, but you find yourself running or driving and unable to do so, well, we take those notes for you. We send them to your email inbox each morning that a guest episode becomes live and they're made so you can read them in under two minutes and take away some of the most insightful, actionable pieces all the faster. So you can sign up there at awesomeatyourjob.com or right from your smartphone by texting NUG, that's N-U-G, to 444-999. So if you text NUG to three fours and three nines, you'll sign up that way all the faster. But don't text while driving, quick safety PSA. So that's that story. Now here is Stacy's story. Stacy Hunky equips leaders within organizations to communicate with confidence, presence, and authenticity day in and day out. Combined, her team of mentors and consultants have more than 100 years of training experience. She works with executives, managers, and technicians and sales leaders across the United States and on four different continents. Here's Stacy. Stacy, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you, Pete, for the opportunity. Well, I learned about you from the research that not only do you teach and consult and work with communications related topics, you've also taught fitness for 20 years. That's a good long stretch. And what is your fitness specialty? I'm glad that you asked that. I fell into it, Pete. I'm embarrassed to say it's like 25 plus years. So you name it, the classes I've taught because they, they really transition in and out. Now what I teach, I teach a spinning class. I teach a boot camp, And then if you're familiar with what TRX is, I teach that and I, and I laugh with my clients because they always ask, how do you have time for that? And I share with them, I have learned that the heavy travel I do on the road, you've got to be healthy and you've got to keep up with the stamina. And to me, the workout, the teaching it, the teaching part, there's a motivational piece to it, which was, which is what I do on the professional side, that it's my, ah, it's my time of the day that really gives me that healthy balance and to just not think about work, but to just take care of myself during that time frame. Understood. Yes. Yeah. You know, I've seen even in my own experience, I'm only 33 years old, but I can feel that I'm less energetic than I was a decade ago already. And I don't care for it. So I've been stepping it up lately. There you go. That's, that's an important piece. You know, I wrote an article a while ago that talked about influence being a part of just your outside image too. And it, it happened because I was working with, he was a leader at a law firm and we do a lot of videotaping. We, we can talk about the purpose of that. And I just want to make sure that my clients get a chance to experience how influential they are 
rather than what they believe through the eyes and ears of listeners, therefore the video. And after he watched the video, he had just not taken care of himself for numerous reasons. He just had not taken care of himself. And he had seen himself on the playback, Pete, and he looks at me and he said, I've just realized that my outside image also portrays influence or it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And that's where it kind of clicked for me that, wow, there is something there that ties to how well we take care of ourselves. I'm not talking weight. I'm not talking anything like that. It's just that outside glow that you might have. And there's a part of that that ties to the level of influence I think you have or how people perceive you. Mm. Yes, certainly. It does make an impact. It's so funny. I don't know what it is, but sometimes I just look at somebody and say, oh, he must be in charge. (laughs) It's like, what? Based on what? I don't know where that comes from. Is it a blazer jacket? Is it a glow? Is it a blend of dark and light colored hair? Like, was that just for men? The (laughs) the advertisement? I don't know what it is, but it's like, oh, that woman, that man must be in charge. And I start looking in that direction, like awaiting guidance or explanation for what's going to happen here. Exactly. And I think, I think a part of it too, because I I don't want to miscommunicate anything to anyone that's listening right now to this interview, that when I say that outer glow, like it just really represents you. It represents your style. It represents your personal brand and you stick to it. You're consistent with it. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Thank you. Well, so tell us, you were talking influence. You got a whole book on it now. What's influence redefined all about? Uh, it's exactly that. I kick off the book by sharing with the reader what influences and what it's not. I think there's a lot of misperception behind it. The old, call it the outdated definition is motivating people to take action. Now, that's a component to the definition, but I think there's a lot missing there. There's also this misperception, Pete, that I turn it on when I need it. Mm. Here's what influence is. It's the body language, the messaging is consistent Monday to Monday, The second element to influence is that you've got this ability to move people to action long after the interaction occurs. That's where the book starts. From there, Pete, it's built off of a model that gives the reader how-tos to make sure that they're more aware of how influential they are and then how to make sure that they are consistent with their level of influence through their communication Monday to Monday. Okay. Intriguing. Well, so then I would like to hear about some of the hows there, but maybe first we'll start with a why in terms of, you know, in the grand scheme of, of skills or abilities or features a person can have, you know, why is influence important among them? Gosh, I I just really believe Pete that if we don't have influence, if you dig deep behind that concept, are people questioning our trust? They don't trust us because they don't want to follow us. And it doesn't matter if you're a leader in the company or what role you have, if you're not able to encourage, persuade, influence individuals to act on your recommendations, how can profits increase or sustain? How can results happen day after day? How can work get done, much less us being productive with that work? Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm sold. And I just, you can tell, I'm just, I'm so passionate about this concept of, do we have as much influence as we think we do, or are we really guessing our level of influence and impact on others based on feeling rather than on fact? And the book reveals some of those questions 
for the reader to give some thought to. Well, that is a nice place to start there in terms of just sort of taking inventory or stock of where you sit. So what are some of the telltale signs that reveal if you know, you've got it and a lot of it or not so much? <laughs> or you don't. I'm going to give you just some examples. And these really are coming from surveys that we do with our clients. When, when they went through our courses and afterwards they said to us, oh, I get it. Now I understand why when I communicate, whether it's in a meeting, a large group conversation, there's side conversations going on with my listeners. Mm. They're down, I call it the smartphone prayer, where they're buried Mm. into their technical gadgets. Are people responding to your emails? Are people responding to your meeting requests, Uh, your voicemail message, if if you still leave voicemail messages? Those to me, that you're just not getting the response. You're not getting that connection, engagement, commitment from your listeners. I'd start questioning, all right, what is missing? I want to go back, Pete, just in case our listeners are, are going here in their mind. Most people will say to me, well, it's our culture. It's our culture that people are busy. So we have to be multitasking. We have to be sending emails during meetings. Here's my challenge on that. Is it really a cultural element or is that email your listener is sending while you're talking more interesting than what you're doing and what you're saying? Because if people are multitasking and it's proved across, it doesn't even matter what generation you are, we cannot multitask, meaning really understanding the why behind the words really hearing, understanding the message. And if those components are in therapy, I'm not sure how you can influence your listeners. They're going to miss elements. Maybe they don't miss everything that you say, but they might miss the element that really helps them decide, yes, I believe in you. I want to follow you. I'm going to test out your recommendation. Right. And I think it's interesting when they talk about culture, you might say, well, is there anybody in your organization that doesn't seem to have their audience or listeners doing this, you know, when he or she is up in front. And I think that kind of would deconstruct that explanation. So then if that's some indication, how do we show more interest, more influence in the moment? Mm -hmm. I'm going to get back to what feels like basics, but most people don't give it thought. Making sure that our body language is consistent with our message. I'm going to give you an example since we're doing this via virtual conversation. If I said to you, Pete, I am so excited about this opportunity to record with you. I can barely stand it. You can see the tone. <laughs> there's no energy in the voice. There's, there's a lot of incongruency. It's taking a step back and making sure that why do you gesture Is it consistent? Is there purpose behind it? Do you walk in that room like you belong there? And once you're in the room, do you earn the right to stay? Are you looking people dead in the eye when you're speaking to really help and pull out that trust? Another one is brevity. Are you saying too much by using filler words they're called or filler phrases? Or do you get to the point and you really honor people's time? It's taking a look, going back to the body language, not that messaging isn't important. There's too much research out there that we can't take a look at our body language, that when there's incongruency, it's really distracting for your listeners. Distracting means they'll start checking out because it's it's hard work to listen to you. Mm-hmm. Intriguing. So it's a hard work because there's like, well, which is it? Are we, do you mean that? Do you not mean that? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and so then we'll kind of just, 
gravitate to something easier understood there. Yeah. So that's a tricky. And I'm thinking right now, but I've heard people say things like, "That's hilarious." <laughs> it's like you don't you don't sound like you think it's hilarious, <laughs> and, and it's sort of like I don't know. Not that I'm super suspicious or skeptical, but it just makes me wonder what else are you not kind of connecting with, with regard to your emotional affect versus what you're conveying verbally. And I also, we talk about filler words. I'm thinking of someone who comes to mind who keeps using the phrase to be completely honest with you. Yeah. And that makes me wonder, well, aren't you always being completely honest with me? Or is it only when you proceed the sentence with, with that filler phrase? So that really kind of diminishes a bit of the influence there in my eyes. That's it. And what's crazy about all these concepts that you're bringing up, how many of us this week were in a conversation, whether in our personal life or professional life, are we really, really thinking about, huh, I wonder what my hands are doing. Mm -hmm. I wonder if I'm pausing. We don't think that way. So that's where I go back to our earlier conversation. One of the first steps to a model I have laid out in the book is self-awareness. That if we're not really aware of how we come across, how people perceive us, could we be determining our level of influence off of how we feel rather than what is fact? Oh, that's great. That's great. And I'm thinking about, you know, something that's happened for me is I have come across, I guess I'm sort of at times too enthusiastic and interested in what someone's saying with follow-up questions. And I guess one, just because people aren't used to others caring (laughs) that much, I guess, about, you know, their area of expertise or whatever they're conveying that folks kind of wonder, is this guy for real? It was almost like, is he mocking me because he's so excited or enthusiastic? So I've learned to, I guess, tone it down to be connecting on that level. But you're right. The perception can be completely different because I think, oh, this is great. People like it that I'm interested in what they're saying. And the fact of the matter is, well, some people do and some people are weirded out and don't believe you that that's the reality of of your feelings toward them. I think you're hitting you're hitting on another element that's in my influence model, and that's adaptability. It's still bringing the best of you to the conversation and a very consistent brand. Where it gets difficult for some is now you've got to adapt. Where I'm giving an example, I had talked to a group of sales professionals and they're energetic and they've got tons of energy, which allowed me to pull out more of my energy, have some fun with them. And then I spoke to another group, more reserved, quiet. I, I had, it took me some time to figure them out. So when I first started the conversation with them, I aired on more of the conservative side, not quite as much energy in the voice, relax the gestures, don't gesture as much. And it's just really paying attention, Pete, to who are you speaking to and what styles work for them, what doesn't work for them. And then what is the message? What are the words and the message that are really going to resonate with them? Oh, that's so dead on. You know, Stacey, we should have talked years ago. (laughs) I've learned some of these lessons painfully the hard way. One of my very first paid speaking engagements was to a bunch of accountants. And then between one of my programs and another, sort of the queen accountant who is sort of in charge of this organization, gave me some feedback how she didn't want me to seem so flippant. And I thought, flippant? Well, yes. That's not a good word. I'm pretty sure I know what that means. And it's not good. <laughs> and I was, you know, really nerve wracking because it's one of the, my first paid speaking gigs. And this is what I just quit my job to do. 
Right. This is what I'm hearing. But then if we talk about adaptability, it makes total sense from a perspective of CPAs, like their opinion, that's their product, is a letter that says their opinion, right. has weight, has gravitas. And so me joshing around about some serious matters, what I thought brought energy and levity to the event, you know, she wasn't so much feeling. So I changed some of my slides that talked about how accountants <laughs> in the FBI are cool because they get guns. <laughs> I was there, like, there okay, we're cutting that slide. That might be in the flipping category. <laughs> I, I want to play off something that you said because a lot of people struggle with this piece. Again, this is another element to the book. You made a comment, she had given you feedback and then you kind of question, whoa, I don't think that's good. At least she gave you a little bit more direct feedback than most people receive. That's true. And most of us get the comment when we ask, how did I do? Good, nice job, that was great. Mm -hmm. And we really, this is where self-awareness completely goes off the radar. We walk around believing I'm good, I'm great. Everyone says I am. I challenge our listeners that anytime you want to get feedback, always prepare for it. Say to that individual, hey, before we walk into this meeting, here's what I'm working on. Here's how I want to come across. Would you listen and watch for that? And then five minutes after, we all have time for five minutes of our development. Five minutes after the meeting, you get the feedback. And if you still, if you still get good, nice job, always ask that individual, what did I say? What did I do where you gained the greatest value? What can I do to improve? Mm -hmm. That's great. That's great. You know, we had a really powerful chat earlier with Dave Stahoviak, mm. who suggested a power question was, you know, what's one thing I should start doing or stop doing to be more effective? And it, what's so cool about that question is it's sort of like... Love that. I know there's at least one thing, you know, so you're not going to hurt my feelings. I'm ready for it. Bring it on. And it's just one thing. And, you know, it can, it can either be start or stop to be more effective. So that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And I want to hear from you when it comes to adaptability. You know, part of it is you mentioned you will show a different, you know, side or emphasis of your manner of communication based on the audience. And so I get a number of questions from listeners about, you know, managing up or trying to be influential in, in different kinds of power distances. I guess if you're working with someone who's your manager or you're the manager of them, or it's a colleague or peer, you know, how do we think about communicating and influencing in those different contexts? From what I can talk about from my experience, right? And it's any time that I talk to that VP level, the C-suite level, I understand they don't have time. And because they have so many messages, like all of us, they've got a lot of messages, just so much of a heavier risk on some of the messages that they're dealing with. I've got to get to the point, be very direct, not sugarcoat it because I don't want to waste their time. But that is key. When in doubt, Pete, if I ever wonder, well, I don't know, like what works for you as my listener, I will always ask when in doubt, I'll ask, hey, what's the best way to communicate with you? based on a medium. I'll get a feel for them too on, do they tend to like to socialize at first and then dive into the meeting? And that's also a cultural difference as well. You know, you always want to know who you're speaking to. That's the major difference that I'll see with different levels in the organization. And then it really, I think to me, adaptability comes down to the style and asking the questions to make sure you're communicating to them the way that resonates with them and that grabs their attention. 
And now when you ask those questions, I mean, you just ask one just straight out there. How would you prefer for me to communicate with you? Do you have any other prompts that could get them to reveal and disclose some of the keys to their attention and hearts? Because my hunch is, I think sometimes if you ask that question, the response may be, oh, I don't know, just you know, directly and, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. don't be boring. <laughs> you that's know, I, I wonder if that's all I'll get. Sometimes it's it's throwing the benefit on them, starting out that question with, I always want to make sure that I don't waste your time. I get how busy and valuable your time is. Therefore, straight out, what is the best time of day to communicate with you? Mm-hmm. Or what is the best medium to just grab your attention? So I think there has to be that level of, hey, I'm, I'm truly serious about this because I don't want to waste your time. But I also want to make sure that I understand what's right for you. I've got to tell you, Pete, when I bring this up to the audiences that I work with, a lot of people will say to me, you know, I've never thought of that. I've never thought about asking that question, which tells me that also gives you a head up from anyone else that's never asking the question. I know when I ask my clients that I can tell sometimes they're shocked with the shock look of that's interesting. The fact that I've never been asked that before all right, that, that's telling me you really do care. And how can that not enhance your credibility and start building that trust? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's great. And I think that, especially if you're, if anyone's trying to sort of persuade me on something, I guess sometimes I think about sales folks, sometimes they don't ask me, but I just tell them, it's like, what I would like for you to do is share with me a compelling foolproof case that if I put dollars into your hands, marketing person, more dollars will come back to me from incremental profit generated from the sale of my services. <laughs> it's, I have spelled it out right. for folks before. And at times I thought, shouldn't you sort of know that already, that that's what marketing is ultimately for? But I don't know. Sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't. And sometimes I think they just don't have the evidence I'm looking for. And so it's a good point. That's just where that ends up being. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Well, you've got me going. I like that. So that's a great question there. And so let's see, we've talked about a number of these core elements when it comes to influence in terms of the adaptability and the self-awareness. You've got a couple more we should dig into. We've got self-awareness and right above self-awareness, I probably should give a visual to our listeners. Imagine the model is a triangle. And on the left-hand side arm of the triangle is feedback. We've talked a little bit about that. On the right-hand side is practice. I'm talking deliberate practice, constant day-to-day practice. And the bottom of the triangle is accountability, making sure that you've got someone to help you hold yourself accountable. So when you go inside that model, Pete, self-awareness is the first element. And right above that, I think this one is huge. It's consistency. This is where Monday to Monday comes into play, that Anyone that you're speaking to, they never have to guess who's going to show up. They always know they're going to get Pete. And I have clients that sometimes I wonder who's going to pick up the phone. I sometimes wonder when I go to their offices, who's going to show up that day. You start messing with your personal brand, meaning it's not consistent. People really start questioning your authenticity, which then leads to trust. In the book, I talk a lot about questions that you can ask yourself, things, steps, actionable steps that you can apply day in and day out to make sure that you are consistent. And so what are some ways that folks, you know, fall down on consistency? It sounds like sometimes Uh, you're talking about maybe moods. Yeah. Like sometimes they're angry and sometimes they want to chit chat. So what are some other things? 
We definitely could go back to the book title. That one of the elements to consistency is the body language and messaging needs to be consistent. That, that's number one. Mm-hmm. I'm going to share a story. I shared this with, I did another podcast earlier today. And I was sharing with that individual that a couple of months ago, I'm at a conference. I'm getting ready to speak. And I'm sitting at the front table with all the executives. The CFO is off to my right. The CEO goes up on stage and he's kicking off this big, I mean, it was a big conference. It was really a big deal for them to have all of their people there. And he kicks off for the conference. Then while he's doing that, the CFO next to me, Pete, is buried in her emails. Mm. And I remember thinking, ah, you're in the front row. The CEO is talking about how critical this is. It gets better. He then comes off stage. She goes up on stage. And at the end of her rah, rah, and really trying to motivate the group, she says to the group, Pete, this is so critical. We have invested in you to come to this conference. Therefore, be all in and shut down your phones. All right. And I thought, okay, that's an example of not being consistent. Or you may have seen it being in the industry that you're in, Pete. I see it a lot where if it's a presentation, the individual steps on stage and they go into presentation mode and then they're off stage. And you're like, huh, that is a different person right there. Right. After consistency in the model for going down that road, Pete, is reputation. You know, and this whole idea that your reputation enters the room <laughs> before you ever get there and your, your reputation enters your readers, your receivers inbox before you ever hit send. And the concept around just making sure that your reputation, it is consistent. Those two tie together. And, and it's one that you're, you're very aware of and you make sure that it's one that you're proud of. The next element, Pete, in the model is adaptability. We just talked about that. One more big step is impact. And this is where I think impact ties to my second definition of influence, moving people to action long after the interaction occurs. It's, it's what do you say? What do you do in the moment that just has this impact on individuals that they take action right then and there? But you have influence on them continuously. And when all of that is in a line, influence sits right on top of that model, that triangle. Okay, well, impact sounds really awesome. How do we do more of that? Oh, impact to me is so much, it really is about your word choice. The, and then it goes also to your delivery skills. I talk about delivery skills in the book that when you are passionate, show it, let them know it's through your face. Let them know that you truly believe this recommendation you're giving them is the right choice. You can do that through your facial expressions, your voice, your eye contact. I call it eye connection. It's so much of putting everything from that model comes right to impact. That is that final say of, all right, are you as influential as you believe you are? Okay. All right. Cool. Well, so now you also make the point that we choose whether or not we're going to be influential or not influential. It's not something that descends upon us like you are or aren't. It's a choice. So how does that show up day in, day out? I think it goes back to some of the elements in the model, Pete, that that consistency and people, getting people to feel like you truly care about the decisions that they make and you're going to be there to guide them. I say it's a choice because when we lay out and dissect this entire conversation you and I've had, there's an element that being influential is going to take some work. It's going to take focus. It's going to take some discipline. The good news is because we communicate every day, 24 seven in every way, 
you've got the opportunity to be constantly practicing. Again, that's going to be a choice. Think about a professional athlete. They make the choice on how much they're going to practice to get to that end result, which is that game. Mm -hmm. I read something about, you know, Michael Jordan and and I, I forget the numbers, Pete, but the amount of times that he would practice before their actual practice would begin in the morning. It's just insane. Here's maybe more of a recent one. There's a one of the most popular TED.com videos is Julie Doctor, Dr. Julie Bolton Taylor. And she shares in an interview that before she got on that TED.com stage, she practiced 200 times. That particular TED talk, she did 200 times. 200 times before she delivered oh, it. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm not saying you have to practice 200 times before your next meeting. I'm saying, be conscious, be conscious during your conversations moving forward that maybe your next phone call, you think about the words that you're using. Maybe during your next meeting, you think about having brevity and really connecting with your listeners. That's the hard part because it's just using another part of our focus that we may not have given thought to. Yeah, that's great. Well, Stacy, is there anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? The one big piece, and it's written a lot in the book, is I think all of this comes together when we start audio recording ourselves, we start video recording ourselves. I don't know how else, Pete, I can constantly improve and really get a solid factual proof of how I'm coming across versus how I'm not. Highly, highly recommend. If there's just one action step that your listeners take from this podcast, it's start recording yourself and you can do it. You can do it with your technical gadgets. Right. Okay, great. Now, can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Oh, it's only because I don't know if it's my favorite. It's one that I just came across. So it's fresh in my mind. It's by John Addison. He is the CEO of Prime America. I recently finished his book, Real Leadership. And in the book, this might not be word for word, so don't quote me. He states, people don't remember what you say. They remember what you do and how you behave. Again, don't quote me. Okay. But it's interesting because I'm like, he's right. It's all about what you do and how you do it. Great. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? A favorite book? Uh, Real Leadership is definitely one. I go back to the TED.com. There's a Talk Like TED book by Carmine Gallo. I love it because there's tons of research that supports. It's the whole package. It's body language and messaging that will grab attention and keep it and sustain it. Oh, cool. Thank you. And how about a favorite tool? I don't want to call my mentors and accountability partners a tool. <laughs> You're a tool. They, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're, they're more of a resource. And I truly believe when I look back at my career, it, I could not have done this without that resource. I need coaches. I need mentors and accountability partners in my life. I think we all do. Okay. And how about a favorite habit? A favorite habit? Would working out be a habit? Oh, sure. Yeah, that's my favorite habit. That That is my happy place is just taking care of myself before trying to take care of anyone else. Okay. And is there a particular nugget that you share that tends to really get folks, you know, taking notes, nodding their heads, resonating, connecting with it? I think it's when I simply ask them when I'm talking about consistency and I'm giving them some examples of successful companies that have consistent brands. It's when I simply say to them, Pete, is your brand consistent Monday to Monday or are people guessing? Okay. Thank you. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? 
It's easy to find me. The website is Stacy with an E-Y, H-A-N-K-E-I-N-C.com. Okay. And if you have a final call to action or challenge for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs, what would it be? Start asking someone you can trust to really give you some honest, meaningful feedback and then put an action step on the steps you're going to take daily to start enhancing who you are. Excellent. Well, Stacy, thank you so much for this. This has been a real treat. I wish you lots of luck with the book and your trainings and all you're up to. Thank you so much, Pete. It was a pleasure. I really love Stacy's tip about the videoing of yourself and how it can make a world of difference and how there can be some really eye-popping insights when you do that. I've noticed some surprising things for myself in terms of just like touching my stomach a lot. Like, why am I doing that? What's that about? Or others, I'd say, hey, you've got a little bit of a weird thing you do when you move up your left shoulder. He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, no, check it out. I was like, whoa, I had no idea. So it can be eye-opening. And if you don't like the way you look or sound, I just blame the audiovisual equipment. So that's your out. So you have a little bit of extra safety there if you're scared to take a hard look. But it's a hard look well worth doing. And again, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we reference here, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F196. And if this is your first episode of howtobeawesomeatyourjob.com, thank you. Welcome. I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll hear from folks like our very next guest. It's Joe Salsa. He's talking about money, how to make more money at your job and use that money wisely. We haven't talked much about money directly, so much as indirectly, but this time we go for it. Talking about the Benjamins and the stacking of them. Joe hosts the Stacking Benjamin podcast, which is just a whole lot of fun. I think you'll dig listening to that one as well. So I hope to catch you then and peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.